Eddie Jacobs, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you, Ben? Not too bad. And thank you for choosing a mid-afternoon time, your time, because of the uh, six-hour time difference. So thank you very much. It's currently half past 9 p.m. where I am, so it's not too late, which is wonderful. That's good. That's good. Yeah, no, I don't... (laughs) I don't need you to stay up at be at two AM talking to me. Like that that is okay. I don't need to infiltrate your dreams. <laughs> cool. Um so the first thing that I saw when I saw your name was that I've never heard of the name Katie before. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's a nickname. Yeah. And that your real name is Catherine from doing some research? Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, so um my name is Catherine Adele. And so um, my mom wanted a daughter named Kate. And then when I was born, my dad said she is not a Kate. She's a Katie bug. (laughs) And um, so they took the D in Adele and put it into Katie, which is good because I'm not, I I don't feel like a KT. There's nothing wrong with that, but I feel like a Katie. Nice. And luckily your voice is very similar to our Adele. So No, it's funny because when I was twelve I started doing I was doing like talent shows around town and stuff and Rolling in the Deep was definitely my was my song and oh, yeah. um, yeah. and then they were like, Oh, your middle name's Adele too and <laughs> I was like, Yeah. She's one of those like rare people that has a completely different voice to when she actually like speaks in real life. Yeah, no, she's She's otherworldly. She's otherworldly <laughs> for sure. But it was it was really funny because I just grew up listening to her music. And Adele was really the first artist that I felt like I listened to and I loved because I chose her. It was not because somebody played her for me. And um, it was really funny when I got a little older, like hearing her talk and just how much she like swears and just like <laughs> the way that she talks. But, but like just her... Um, like bluntness is like really amusing to me because when (laughs) all you hear is like her muse like her 21 record it's like oh this is like a soft like sensitive soul but like she is but she's like she's fire you know so uh so over here we have a festival called glastonbury and so she uh headlined a few years back and she was like spoken to before about like you know so don't swear too much because obviously pre-watershed kids watching swear 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 yeah swear, swear, no swear. i but hey she's adele she can do whatever <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah she can do whatever she wants and considering the reviews her las vegas residency is going yeah she's she's fine i think she's doing quite well yeah um yeah, yeah. so you mentioned that uh, that you did um, talent shows. So I guess we're doing those sort of um, when you like realize that you, you know, had like the musical itch and like wanted to try and do this weird thing we call music and make it a career. Yeah, totally. So I come from a very musical family. Um, my dad's a professional musician. He's a professional bass player. And um, most three of my grandparents, two of my grandparents were band directors one of them was a percussionist in college. One of them was a an insane classical vocalist, and she was a music teacher. And um, my mom sings as well, and music was very much a part of her life. And um, I feel very lucky because I and all the aunts and uncles played something. <laughs> Everybody was in band, you know. Um, and so, actually, in my family, music's the predominant profession, and. Um, but not as much in a like celebrity or 
public figure sort of way, but in a really like practical sense of um, paying your bills and doing the job and doing something that you love. And so um, they have been nothing but supportive to me. And, um, you know, I, my first Christmas present, my Christmas presents growing up was always a go-to. If I didn't know what I wanted, I'd asked for another <laughs> instrument. And so um, they've always just been so supportive and, when I started singing really young and playing, you know, guitar really young, um, they were nothing but supportive. Right. So how did you end up in Nashville then? Yeah, so I, funny enough, so I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, which is three hours south of Nashville, um, straight, straight down I-65. And um, I... So I had my eye on Nashville kind of like my whole life in terms of... Um, it, it's the, you know, the big music capitals of in America are Nashville, New York, and um, L.A. And the fact that I grew up only three hours from Nashville um, was awesome. I um, had my eye on Belmont University since I was 12, um, which is a very, very big music school. And so I ended up going to Belmont, and that's how I ended up in Nashville. And I started college um, three years ago in August of 2019. Yes, okay, that's cool. So what do you um, study at Belmont then? Yeah, so I was a voice major at Belmont, a commercial voice major, which is all singing that isn't classical or jazz. And my, I had like a minor or an emphasis in, which is what I call it, in songwriting. And the interesting sort of thing about my college experience, COVID kind of screwed it up. Um, I spent, so I started in August 2019. And then when the pandemic hit at the end of my freshman year, I decided to do my whole sophomore year remote. So I actually wasn't in Nashville that year. I was in back in Alabama. Um, and then I came back in May of 2021 and then I did my junior year in person and then I got a job with Songhouse and now I'm on a leave of absence so just not at all typical. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of um, Songhouse that's what you're most known for so how did you find out about like Songhouse in the first place was it just a I know that person who knows that person or was it just like a lucky situation all of the above um so actually the first time <laughs> it tends the very, to be, it? It tends to be. yeah the very first time i heard of songhouse um was actually my one of my best friends from back home they popped up on his tiktok and he was like and he sent the group to me and he was like yo i don't know what this is but you should become involved and that was in yeah. august of like 2021 mm-hmm. and that was right when okay. now that i know the timeline that was about a month after they had a song called sugar sugar blow up and it did like 8 million views Yikes. on tiktok it like blew up and so um I was like, oh my gosh, this, these like people are so cool. Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> and then in August of uh, 2021 is when I, no, October, that's when I started playing out in the writer's round in writer's rounds in Nashville. And for anybody who don't know, who doesn't know what that is, um, local venues and bars um, or restaurants even um, will basically be a hosting area where um, people either in the restaurant or just 
music folks who host rounds, host these nights called writers rounds, where okay. in each hour there are three or four writers. Um, singer songwriters typically they typically play for themselves or have an accompanist and each person gets three or four songs and you go in like a round uh, and round made sense, then yeah. it's an hour okay and then you know but you can have anywhere from three to six rounds a night you know depending on where you're at so i started playing at the you know crummiest little <laughs> hole in yeah. town five minutes from my house called Belcourt taps who is no longer in business rest in peace and um that's where i met tj crockrum who um has been in songhouse since very close to the very beginning and he was hosting the round that um i was playing and then and my first round, I was playing with Gabe Baker and Dorian okay. Lackey, who was sure. the Sugar Sugar artist. And um, and and then there were a couple of Songhouse writers in the audience. And okay. it was my first round ever, and it went really well. And I immediately just started becoming really close friends with TJ and getting to know those people. But also at the same time, it wasn't like... I wasn't like, oh my gosh, like I have to be in Songhouse or I don't have a shot. It was like there were so many people that I was starting to meet all at once. Um, <laughs> yeah, who are just in the playing community in general, and and I I found a yeah. really really amazing big group of people. Like I was, well, so I first came across Songhouse when um, what well, it was a suggestion on um, the Instagram, and it was the round hole one. Yeah. And as I said, um, I'd been a casual fan of Tyler for years. But yeah, then it all just spirals out, and and that's all you get on your on your Instagram timeline. <laughs> so Songhouse is is basically three or four song, songwriters per word in like a session sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes we do a couple of words. That was more so in the beginning. It's it's really more so about just writing. Uh, you know taking 30 minutes, giving writers 30 minutes to write a chorus or a hook. And the idea is to get writers out of their own head and giving them a, a timer and saying like, you have to make something and you have to make a call and finish it. And we're going to make <laughs> a video. And, um, and so sometimes a lot of times we'll have like concepts um, given to us or the word, like for our biggest song, honest, the prompt was honest and they wrote that song um with parachute the prompt that day was tightrope and if you know parachute at all it's uh um oh we know every step's like walking on a tightrope and so that wasn't even like falling in love and it's scary wasn't even like the prompt but that's what they came up with with that with that word so it all some it all really depends sometimes we write it based off of somebody's story or experience that they're going through um sometimes it's um a free choice i think round hole was that way right so what's the threshold for like for a song to think okay it's done this amount of, of views when do you then go about thinking okay let's take this song further and record it properly do a video Totally. So, um, the more that we've grown, the threshold has risen sure. because just 
naturally how it goes. If something passes a million, it's if something passes a million, it's very obvious that it's connecting. Um, if it's in the five hundred thousand range or more, um, like if the likes are high or if it's a lot of comments or if it's shared a lot of times, um, you can see that it's connecting. If you post something more than once and it does better the second time. Um, that's a really good sign. Like, for example, my biggest song didn't hit a million, but the first time we posted it, it hit 200,000. And then the second time we posted it, it hit 400,000. And now they're both at 250 or 450 or something like that. And the ratios on it are insane. And, and But we've got a ton of songs like that. Um, especially with our viral songs, like... We've got a song out loud on that hit went over a million on TikTok, but we posted multiple videos of that one. And then one video of it did 200,000. Another video did another hundred thousand. And on Instagram, it did 500,000. So, um, like it's really interesting what I've learned about social media. Cause I feel like there's this sort of myth or not myth, but feeling of, um, virality, is up to chance Mm -hmm. and so and i'm I'm the person who runs our socials so i'm on those accounts looking at our data every day (laughs) and i think something that i've learned is that if a song is resonating with people it's very obvious um if it's if a song is resonating with a lot of people um it doesn't mean that other songs that don't go viral are bad like we just had one today of mine that I think is awesome and isn't performing as well as the other ones. And like, that's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but luckily it's, it's really cool. Cause like songs that our people love, they love across both platforms. From outside in, so what you've got is a very original idea. Cause I, I don't know of any other groups that does what you do. You've automatically got the original, the originalities factor down. Songs in the, in the mainstream in general are are usually written by five to six people anyway. Yeah. And um, do you have about sixty people on? I guess your books now. Um. Yeah, it's growing more and more, and and I know that I've helped bring in over a hundred writers. Um, we have these things called newbie days where, um. We have an application on our website to come do one of our live sessions. And from that alone, I mean, we have a couple hundred submissions. Um, And as far as people around town, we've had, you know, at least 150 people just in Nashville (laughs) come around for the last, you know, the company's not even two years old. So, um, but in terms of a rotating basis, we have a really solid like 30 to 40 that that we heavily bring in and rotate because um there's chemistry there and um they've shown that they're dedicated they believe in the mission of of the company and what they're trying to do um what we're trying to do and um who are just really outstanding human beings and and so we've got about 30 to 40 writers that we constantly bring in and then from that, obviously, you've got then a lot of opportunity to mix everyone and then just see what they come up with. 
Yeah, no, totally. Well, the idea is, and Tyler jokes about this all the time, like, if you write for 30 minutes and you love your co-writers, then you can go set up a write outside of Songhouse and do whatever you want. But if you don't like it, it's only 30 minutes. And we've all had writes like that, you know, and so, but no, we do it randomized unless we're doing like a really intentional day. But I mean, at least well over 90% of the days, it's all randomized. Like, we use a website. How did uh, Kelly Clarkson get in contact then? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember the story. But first, so last year, we did both a Kelly Clarkson show appearance and the Today Show. And so um, we filmed the Today Show first, actually, in August of last year. And then they aired it last month. The Kelly Clarkson show, I think they reached out to us. And we got a couple of show offers, but, um, yeah, they reached out to us and wanted to do a segment on us. And so I was one of the people working with their team and Jacob and Tyler flew out there and did the interview. Um, but they had a team come to us and we did a, the writing day that was aired. And, um, yeah, that was so much fun. You said before that you're barely two years old as a collective, and now you're on national television. It's really crazy, but but I think our one of our goals for next year is to we we want to get on to uh, nighttime television. That's one of my personal like throwing that in the universe. Do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is a uh, collab with Kelly Clarkson coming soon? I would love that. Just putting it out there into the universe and manifest it for 2023. Just putting it out <laughs> there and for the universe. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Hello. Just interrupting this episode to ask you a quick favor. If you like what you're listening to, give it a rating, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast feed. It helps more than you could imagine. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so putting Songhouse to the side, you are a singer-songwriter yourself. You had a song released called Take the Heat. Did I get that correct? Oh, Take the Heat? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so that song isn't out yet, but I post about okay. that song all the time. That song's coming out this year. I don't have any music out besides my one Christmas song with Songhouse. I was very patient and finding a producer, but I found a producer, Joey, and I love him very much. <laughs> so, as you mentioned, you're featured on Gingerbread House, of the um, uh, Christmas EP. How is uh, that to do? So, it's uh, the first main thing that you've released as like, a group. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, so that was... That was my first like song out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was our second EP or our last body of work project. The first was Kendall Inskeep's EP. Yeah, um, yeah. And then before that, we had a lot of singles. But um, yeah, so I am uh, starting to record and release music this year. But as far as Gingerbread House goes, that song was super fun because I had the idea and the concept of Gingerbread House. Um, back in 2021 and then tried to write it by myself in a composition lesson with one of my professors and it went horribly. I tried really, really hard to write that song by myself, but it was too happy for me to write alone. <laughs> and, uh, but then when I brought it to the co-write, they like, we had that sucker done in 75 minutes. Some songs do just 
come out like that, don't they? You know, into an hour, 30 minutes, and boom. So can't complain there. Right, so I'm from the UK, and now country music, to be honest, isn't, well, it's sort of a thing, but not really a thing. Um, people know about it, but, like, it's not played on, like, radio or anything like, like that. Even though it's a very broad question from totally. an outsider, why is it so big in the uh, US and you know, Nashville in general? Yeah, totally. Um, I think... I think every anybody that you ask is gonna get a diff. It's gonna give you a different answer <laughs> because I think, and and so um, my perspective is that I mean I'm a fifth generation Alabamian. Um, all of my family, every single great grandparent of mine was born within two hours of where I grew up, and so country music, like just speaking from somebody who's who like comes from that area. Um, Country music for so many people, especially in rural America, um, tells stories honestly. I think the big thing about country music, and you'll hear um, amazing country writers um, and people in the industry today. I know that Carrie Underwood and Maren Morris have talked about this, but country music is really about telling the stories of people. And there's a certain honesty and unfilteredness that at least classic country provides and um, prides itself on and runs in the blood of and that is very unique and resonates with so many people and just the instrumentation um, a very organic sound is I think very um, is, is a byproduct of the organic sound and sort of of what rural life is like for people and um I think as it evolves today into just sort of the world and at least country that America is now like, you know, you see country songs about um, political issues, you know, or you see gays or you, or you see country songs about gay rights or country songs um, about, you know, when the woman experience, you know, Loretta Lynn's The Pill, um, which sort of got resurfaced when um Roe versus Wade was overturned in June. Like yeah, yeah. that was the song that I saw reposted all the time. And um Loretta who passed away, you know, a few months ago. Yeah. Um was yeah. just one of many pioneers in that space. And so I definitely think that's why, you know, the heart of country music is still so successful and and resonate still so much today and obviously um the progression that we've made in terms of accessibility to production and technology um there's definitely a pop country scene and in terms of blending those worlds and or mm -hmm. whether if it's country and rap oh, or country good. and hip-hop mm -hmm. um you know but i think that's just another manifestation and of something that we're seeing in all genres of we're becoming uh very genreless, you know so well since being in the u.s just last year like i'm now listening to morgan wallen who i'd never even heard of before I, and like the second night i was in america last year i was in an uber coming back from from wherever i was and the uber person was blasting out one number away by um luke combs and he is doing a world tour starting now and he's 
sold out one of like the biggest UK stadiums two nights in a row. So it is slowly coming over here. Very, very much so. That's so interesting. Yeah. Where I was based um, in the summer, we were about a half an hour drive from uh, a line dancing bar. And that, that is like as country as you can get. Yeah. And I think, I mean... I mean, some people call it stupid, but there's something to be said for, like, you know, I I mean, people want to feel like their country sometimes, like they do. Like, the songs, even if they've never had a dance party in a cornfield, like a Luke Bryan song, they want to feel like they have because that sounds kind of lit, you know? Like, um, and, and, you know... I mean, people like their party music how they like their party music, too, you know? <laughs> uh, weird to hear um, uh, Cotton Eye Joe. That's quite, like, a well-known song over here. I don't know why. So, like, I've seen documentaries on Netflix about people like Garth Brooks and Shania Twain and how they moved to Nashville to follow their dreams and they perform any place, any time they get, and they like, do bartending on the side to me that's sort of that's uh, the stereotypical thing that people do though because the rise of social media and what you guys are doing and how you're now known beyond nashville is the generalization about moving to nashville to follow your dream still a thing or, or is it changing slightly because with social media you can basically become famous anywhere if you have a mobile phone and an internet connection there's the mold changing yeah no totally i mean no you're so good um <laughs> i think that it i think that like the mold has changed but it, i it also like depends on what your goal is yeah like if your goal is to get a lot of followers and be an influencer like you can do that anywhere if your goal though but i think like if your goal is to be an artist um or a songwriter or producer whatever that goal is um like i i personally believe that there's no substitute for being in the city that you feel like you're supposed to be in mm -hmm. um but that's yeah. just how but that's just because of how my story played out if i wasn't in nashville if i had gone to any other college i would not be in songhouse i just i just wouldn't and um and and that changed my life. Now there might have been other things, but do but with the way that the pandemic played out and everything, mm -hmm. um, that's just how my story went. Um, I feel like I'm still kind of old school in that way, but I I, I definitely think uh, while the mold is changing, of people can gain yeah. notoriety or like you can do a lot of you can do way more of the legwork not in a city than you used to be able to yeah, yeah. you can write by yourself anywhere you can make demos you can make good sounding demos now anywhere you have a computer and an interface and a microphone you, that wasn't the case before um you can the the independent artists really since the internet sort of became a thing is only becoming more and more feasible and you, I don't think anybody should move to Nashville expecting Nashville to do any, or any city for that matter, to do something for them. Um, but I think that there's some things that being in city, the ideas of like moving to a city and like accomplishing your dreams, 
I, I don't like to think that way at all. I, I wasn't raised to feel that way about, oh, like this is your dream and like it's going to be a fairy tale. Like um, what makes me excited is being on the ground and, and doing work every day and really taking it one step at a time, not a giant fantasy that, you know, half of it you can't control the outcome, you know? Being from the other side of the world and of, unless you're just there, you don't really know how it is and you only have the way that the big um, people that have crossed over here did it. As you said, like, there's no different feeling than actually being there. Well, another thing too is that the benefit of being in the place is that it, it removes the ambiguity of it. It, yeah. it makes it way more tangible and... Mm-hmm not something that's feared in, in the unknown. It's like at least you're like in the presence of the unknown. You know, it it takes away that sense of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I yeah. don't know. Like, and, and it just, being in the city makes it a lot less scary. It's way more tangible, which in turn is empowering and gives you more confidence. It's a brand new year. 2023 what are your main goals for this year what do you want to try and achieve and do totally so um my one of my best friends sam who's also on the songhouse team he's a songhouse artist too um he started an accountability group and so me and about 10 to 15 other of us folks in songhouse um we each sam and i made this contract and Sam designed this thing, and basically we have to um, wager a certain amount of money, uh, an, an amount that makes us uncomfortable, um, and agree that by the end of the year, the goals that we've stated we're going to achieve, we have. Yeah. And at the end of the year, there's going to be a group reward, probably like a trip or something. And if we don't complete our goals, we have to forfeit what we wagered to those who did. And then they go on the trip with our money. Um, so on that list, it's releasing five songs and I put up 500 bucks. So okay, that's make, happening. Make sense, make sense. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I'll have a three song out EP coming out this year. Um, I've got a cover that's going to come out and then I'll have at least one song house song that comes out. Um, and so that's really exciting. And then I think last year I had a word for the year and that really helped me. My word was establish and it was basically just sort of, I was treating it like a prequel year, like just doing a lot of work and doing a lot of things for the first time to just sort of get my hands dirty and take away that first time sort of pressure away. And I feel like I think my word for this year is execute in just terms of I've learned so much in the last year and it's about just doing it. It's about making content. It's about booking shows, like do it and, um, and releasing the music and not putting pressure on myself to have a certain result. It's just about executing what I know, what is in my control. Everyone has an idea what their sort of end goal is, whether or not in the music world, some people sell out arenas or just make money from making music. So what's your end goal? Where do you want to get so that if it all ended tomorrow, I'd be happy? Yeah, so I think 
honestly, my end goal changes every day and I'm, <laughs> I'm 21. And so there's like, and that's a question I get a good amount. And I'm still not, af- I'm not afraid to say I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, in terms of like, there's so many things that I love doing and I, I love singing and that was really the first musical thing that started it all for me. And, um, I love that so much. Um, but that's not all of who I am. You know, I, once I started writing that brought a lot of confidence when I started taking more ownership of my guitar playing, like I've been playing guitar for 12 years. Um, I love that instrument. Same. Um, like I love that. I, I, at the end game is like, I want to be an artist and songwriter. I I still want to be an active artist and songwriter. Um, I, I would love to do the touring thing. I would love to do the artist thing and be a great writer, but I love the work that I do with Songhouse. Like I love it. It really feeds my soul. Um, a big part of my, adolescence and childhood was doing a lot of community work. I was very involved in student government. I was student body president. I did, I led worship for six years at my church and that was my first like paid job and, um, doing community work that is like organizing and, and bringing people together for a collective mission and being creative and building things and building programs or, you know, uh, like many organizations or companies or events like that has always really fed my soul. So honestly, the end game is for me to just keep feeling the way that I feel now, which is really fulfilled in so many ways. Cause with Songhouse, um, it's like, I get to do all the work that I love and all the building that I love, but then I get to come out and be an artist and a writer as well. And so really just being the best that I can be in all facets of myself. That's, then that's vague, but, um, like if you told me two years ago that this songhouse job would have existed, like I wouldn't have believed you. I really believe in like, there are jobs and opportunities out there for me that haven't even come to fruition and those will meet me when they're supposed to. And my goal is just to get good as at many skills as I can um, in order to be successful. So when the time comes, I'm ready. And that's worked so far. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. Um well, Katie, it has been an absolute joy to uh, speak to you. Yeah. It's been such a joy to talk to you too. And I'm so grateful. This is my first podcast. I Yeah, this is my first podcast. And I'm just so grateful to you. And um, it just seems like the work that you're doing, the work that you're doing is really important. And just hosting a podcast where people get to come and share their stories and your listeners get to um, – take wisdom away from the person who's running right beside them. Like I, 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 you know, don't know what I'm doing 80% of the time. (laughs) Um, and I'm just really grateful for for this opportunity and you're a very sweet person. And, um, I just really, really appreciate this. The 
pleasure is all mine and the great thing about doing something like this is that I get to learn about stuff that I didn't know before and get someone's take on something that you know that I'm passionate about as well so, uh, so uh, Katie it has been an absolute pleasure and I will put all your social media links down in the description and everything else like your Instagram awesome <laughs> perfect <laughs> so uh, Katie it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you so much, Ben. I hope you have a great day. Yeah.